Well, if I tell you to praise, you know it's really hard to obey that command, isn't it? It's time to praise something, time to go wow on something. It's not something that is something you can be commanded. You know, I, you, I can't say, look, just be amazed at this, because it won't happen, will it? We need to truly see something that's amazing, and then we will say, wow, then we will praise it. So, how do you get someone to praise something? Well, one thing you could do is you could get somebody, you blindfold them, and take them to the Grand Canyon, say, or something like that. And then you pull off their blindfold, and then they see this amazing view, and what will their response be? Their response will be, wow. As they behold something glorious, something amazing, their heart will swell, and they will feel their size, and they will see the glory of that view, and they will praise. It's not something that be, can be commanded so much as seen. So this morning, Paul, as he starts this letter to the Ephesians, he starts, when he starts that uh, in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father, he is starting there an eulogy. Now, that is something that is speaking well of God. He wants us to speak well, and he wants to speak well of God for us to see how amazing he is. He says, blessed be. So, it's the start of this eulogy. Praise be, some versions say. Now, um, you know what a eulogy is, because in a funeral, you get an eulogy, don't you? Somebody will stand up, and they will say kind words and memories of uh, the person who has died. Now, usually, those things are good things, aren't they? You don't often go to a funeral and hear just bad things about something. So, an eulogy is praise and, and, and to, to speak well of this person. So, Paul here is saying, let me speak well of God to you. Let me tell you how great he is. Blessed be him. He is to be praised. And so, he says, really, he is standing, as it were, with his arm around us, saying, let's look at how great God is. He pulls the blindfold off and he says, look look how glorious he is look how amazing this message is so this morning and next week and the week after as we look at these verses our hearts should i pray soar as we see how great our god is as we see how amazing jesus is and this isn't written these verses aren't written as just a textbook to tell us facts about god this is what god is like and so that's it. No, no, no. These are written, these words are written, remember, to real Christians. They were written to people in Ephesus. They were written to real believers struggling with real questions and real pressures, and these are really words that can help us in our daily life. Think of what we learned about the Ephesians last week. Remember where they lived? They lived in Ephesus, which was a big city and really important for pagan worship. So, people would come from all over the world, and they would come uh, and they would worship at this temple of the goddess Diana. They came and worshipped because they thought that she could give something that nothing else could. And this big temple was a, one of the wonders of the world, so people would come from all over the world to see it and to worship this false idol. So Christians every day there who would turn from that way of life would every day be kind of overshadowed by this temple, They'd have reminders of their past life. Maybe they would feel the pull to go back. They'd be uh, reminded of how small they were. Maybe their church wasn't as big as those numbers going to the temple, and they'd feel small. They'd feel insignificant compared to this grand building that they'd walk past and see every day. So here they were, Christians feeling the pull to their old life. Christians feeling small and insignificant, maybe forgotten. And Paul writes and he says, let me tell you 
how great your Savior is. Let me tell you how great God our Father is. From verses 3 down to 14, it's one long sentence in the Greek. So it is just this cascade of praise and amazement and worship. And as Paul does that, he wants us to join in. He wants us to look. So please, have in your mind now, as we read this, we're together about to look on this glorious view, this vista as it were. And please pray with me that as we look on this, our hearts would soar at the truths we see here. That's not something I can do, something that, something I can produce, but God by His Spirit in our hearts can. So let's pray that He does that this morning. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, why don't you pray, God, show me if this is true. Show me if this could be for me. And I pray that God would open eyes to see that as well. So here he is. Paul wants us to see in verse 3, his goal is this. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. As a Christian, if you're trusting in Jesus this morning, you are spiritually rich. You are spiritually millionaires. And I want to tell you, Paul says, what your riches are. So three things to help us understand what our blessing is in Christ. We need to understand and see the location of our blessing. Then we'll look at the impact of our blessing and then the source of our blessing. So the location, the impact, and the source. So let's have a look at the first thing, the location of this blessing and these riches that we have. Throughout this whole chapter, I wonder if you heard it as it was being read through. The phrase is repeated time and time again, in Christ or in him. Uh, look at verse 1. In Christ, you've been blessed with this. And in verse 3, uh, verse 4, sorry, we see as well, uh, we have been chosen in him. Uh, we have been chosen, verse 6, and he says, in the beloved. Some kind of version of in him, in Christ, comes all the way through this chapter. And in verse 10, Paul sums it up and he says, the plan for God, God's plan for the fullness of time is to bring everything to one goal, one purpose, and that purpose is Christ. It's all for him. So Paul's trying to think, show us this. You are in Christ. If you're trusting in Jesus, when you put your trust in him, you're not just believing something that happened 2,000 years ago. You're putting your trust in him and you are becoming united to him. That means what is true for Jesus becomes true for you. All the blessings that Jesus deserves then become blessings that you get because he's earned them for us. Now, one way to, um, to think of it is this. Uh, this is how one commentator puts it across. He says, look, my eye is in me. So, because my eye is in me, it shares my life. Everything I do, my eye gets to do as well. So, where I go, it goes. All the privilege I have, my eye has. And all the experience and blessings I have, my eye enjoys them as well. So, when I open a door or go through the door, or I go into a meeting, or I meet someone, my eye comes as well. If I'm with somebody who is important, my eye gets to experience that as well. If I have an interesting conversation, my eye is part of that because my eye is in me. In me, my eye is everything I have. In the same way, when we put our trust in Jesus, the spiritual truth we're told is we are in Christ, united to him. All things that are true for him are now true for us. All of his privileges, all the honor, all the access he deserves, we now have because we are in Christ. Now think on that. For, an, for the eternity, for eternity past, the Father has loved the Son. 
he gives him blessing upon blessing because he deserves it and he loves his son. So if we are united to Jesus, all blessings that Jesus deserves are now given to us. All blessings are now ours. Look at verse 4 with me. It says that even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. See, the language there is of the Father choosing his people for his Son. And we know, don't we, that as we go on in Ephesians to see, he chooses the church as his bride. So here we're being told the Father has chosen a bride for his Son. The Father has chosen a bride uh, for the Son to enjoy and to rejoice in. Now, when you get married, all that uh, one has goes to the other, doesn't it? And all the, one, the other has goes to the other person. So I remember in our wedding vows that, as I said to Lisa, everything I have is yours. Uh, quite a few people who knew me at that point were giggling because they knew I had nothing. <laughs> nothing, just junk. Loads of second-hand junk. And about third or fourth-hand by then. Uh, and so everybody was laughing because they knew Lisa would now get all of my rubbish. But you see, if you imagine a situation where, uh, say, a millionaire marries somebody who has nothing, in the moment they say their vows, the person who has nothing suddenly becomes rich because everything they have is theirs. And so in the same way, when we are um, trusting Christ, we are united to him, all the blessings he deserves, we get. The church is the bride of Christ. And it's as if Jesus is the treasure chest. And we, he overflows with blessing. And this blessing now comes to us. Now, these aren't just the words of Paul's in some letter, in some verse in Ephesians. This is a truth we see throughout the New Testament. And do you remember a few months ago now, in John 17, we were looking at Jesus saying these words. He said in John 17, 23, he prays that we might be perfectly one so that the world might know you and that you sent me and that you love them with the love that you loved me. That you love them with the love that you loved me. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? If you're trusting in Jesus, you are loved with the same love that the Father has for the Son. The love that is unbreakable. The love that is for eternity. The love that will never let you go. Your relationship to God is as secure as the love for the Father is for the Son, which has always been and always will be. Remember when John, uh, when John baptized Jesus, the Spirit descended on Christ like a dove, and then the Father couldn't help himself, could he? He said, this is my Son, my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. So today, as you trust in Jesus, when the Father looks on you, he says, this is my beloved Son, this is my beloved child and with you I am well pleased. See, the location of this blessing is that we are in Christ. Everything that's true for him is now true for you. The second thing we need to think of here as well is the impact of that blessing. So what? So the location of the blessing is in Christ. What's the impact of this blessing? Well, Paul wants us to be amazed at this. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as, verse 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, follow that through, and down to verse 10, just, we're not there yet, but we will get there next week. 
Remember that verse where he says, for the fullness of time, he wants to unite all things in Christ. So the whole of the universe, the whole of history is heading for this one purpose. The goal of all things is Jesus Christ. It's all for him and through him. Now, so you'd see one of the impacts this is. It means this. We have deep and rich significance. Deep and rich significance. The answer to all the questions of life, the purpose for all of the universe is Jesus. And now we are in him. We are wrapped up in that purpose. So in one sense, before the foundation of the world, God had in mind the church, the bride of Christ. Remember the Ephesians lived in this shadow of this temple. They'd have felt small. They'd have felt like nobodies. They'd have felt so insignificant. But here Paul is reminding them, before the universe existed, you were in the mind of God the Father. The center of the universe is the church of Christ, his bride. Just amazing significance. Now we might feel like nobodies. We might feel marginalized, ignored, hated, but we are deeply precious and significant to God. Think of the courage that would have given Ephesians as they listened to this being told to them and read out in church. Think of the encouragement that gives this morning to believers in Afghanistan, say, or Somalia. You know, they're places where if people convert to Christianity, if a woman converts from Islam to Christianity there, they are placed under house arrest. They would probably be raped. There would be no legal justice for them. In Libya, they would, Christians would lose their jobs, they're ridiculed, they're thrown out of the family. And that's happening today. And here, they may feel like nobodies, forgotten. But we're reminded here, they are deeply precious to God. He knows them, he has seen them, and they are honored. Bring that into your life this morning. Maybe you think nobody cares about my life. Nobody has seen what I've done. Maybe you look back on your life with regret or shame or you think it hasn't turned out as you hoped it would. And you think, what's the point? You are wrapped up in Christ. So his purposes and his goal becomes your purposes and your goal. You are in Christ. His destination is your destination and you are significant at the center of the purpose of the universe. It doesn't get much bigger than that. Let's take courage from this this morning. You are significant. The church is significant. We might feel marginalized by society, ridiculed, and, and, and uh, people might just look down on us so much. And yet we know here, we're humbled by this truth. You are significant. Secondly, we see, what's the impact of this? There is wonderful security here. When we grasp what's being said, this should settle our hearts from any insecurity because of the safety we have in Jesus. Verse 4 again, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, this chapter, as we read through, maybe you're aware, maybe not, that lots of people have struggled with some of these words and some of the language here. Words like being chosen. And people have asked lots of good questions about it and had lots of theological debate about it. Lots of questions that the Bible often doesn't answer, but we try and answer and think through. And it's hard to answer some of them. But the Bible teaches that those who trust in Jesus have been chosen. It's language that we see throughout the Bible, chosen by God. But also the Bible says this, you are responsible for your actions. So when Jesus says, come to me, 
we're called to come. But also, if we do come, God has chosen us. And we think, hang on, which is it? And we can't seem to hold them together, but, but the Bible holds them together with that tension and says they are both true. We are responsible for our actions, but God chooses before the foundation of the world. So one way to illustrate it is this. Imagine that there's a doorway, and above the doorway it says, come all who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me, Jesus says. And so you see that and you go. And as you walk through that door, you look back, and over the, the arch on the other side it says, chosen before the foundation of the world. Now, in our mind, we might find those things hard to grasp, but the Bible uses them and teaches them. And the Bible doesn't use them as a theological conundrum. The Bible teaches them as deep comfort. It humbles us to our core, but it encourages us as well. Because we have nothing to do with our salvation. God has done it all, but we are safe in Him. And we are chosen to be holy and blameless. Do you see that? Chosen to be holy and blameless before Him. And that turns everything on its head, doesn't it? Because we think to be chosen, I need to be holy and blameless. If I do some good things, some uh, charity or some Christian-like things, then God will choose me. But the Bible says, no, no, no. Before the foundation of the world, you were chosen to be holy and blameless. We are forgiven in Christ, in what he has done for us. He cleanses us. He forgives us, washed by his blood. And because what he's done, we're accepted. So what have we done to be chosen absolutely nothing think of when the cho choosing happened here before the foundation of the world before you could mess your life up before you could make any mistakes god chose you so what have you done to uh, be chosen absolutely nothing what have you done for god to love you absolutely nothing so what could you do to make him not love you can you see there's nothing because it was never about what you did anyway it's all of him it's all of his grace and because of that there is security there there is nothing you can do to make god love you more and there's nothing you can do to make him love you less however much of a failure you might feel however much shame you might be carrying here we're told we are safe and we are secure in christ your salvation is down to god from beginning to end sometimes you might not like that and think oh it's all god i don't do anything well, who would you prefer your salvation to be dependent on? On yourself or on God? So you being chosen is a deep comfort to us as today. Perhaps there's been times where you've been rejected. Maybe you didn't get the job you longed for. Maybe you weren't um, accepted even by your family when you were younger and you feel rejected and ignored. Maybe you just feel on the edge of society and everybody ignores you but God says to you this morning you're mine you're accepted you are chosen can you see how deep and life-changing that can be if we really grasp it if we really understand how secure we are in this because so often we build who we are on what we do don't we when you look in the mirror what do you see who do you see so often we might see like, you know, I'm an engineer, or I'm a pastor, or I'm a teacher, or I'm a father, or I'm a grandparent, or, um, you know, I'm a plumber. I'm, we think of those things. This is what I am. And the problem is, if we find our purpose and our identity in what we do, what happens when they go? Or what happens when we fail in them? Perhaps we let uh, our family down. 
perhaps we lose that job and we just feel crushed and we don't know who we are. Our identity is uncertain in that sense. You read it a lot, don't you, of um, sports people when they retire, when they say, well, if, I, if I'm not doing this, what, who am I? What am I? Remember Sam Warburton's biography recently, and, and he there says when he was thinking through retirement, said, well, if I'm not playing rugby, who am I? But here we see our true identity. Deep down, who are we? We are secure in Christ. We look in the mirror, we might see somebody who's full of failure, somebody who's full of mistakes, regrets, rejections, trauma. But if we grasp this truth, we can look in the mirror and say, I'm loved, I'm accepted. We don't need to be defined by our past and our failure. We can be defined by Christ. Now, of course, our failure might have consequences in this life that we will carry for the rest of this life. We will walk with a limp, as it were. But you are safe in Christ and your eternity is wrapped up in him. Now, if you're not a Christian this morning, you're listening and you're thinking, well, what does this mean for me? I'm not in Christ. I feel like I'm on the outside. Well, listen to the invitation again. He says, come. Come. What are you going to do? Don't cast him off. Look how spiritually rich and secure and safe you can be in him. It's all down to him. He's done it all. You can't earn it. It's a gift. Come to him. So you see, when we realize the location of this blessing, it's in Christ, then we start to see some of the impacts. We are significant. We are secure. And the third thing before we move on to the last point is this. We are accepted. Look at verse 5 now. We move on to verse 5. In love. In love. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. He had this destiny in mind for us. He predestined for us to be accepted and adopted into the family of God. You are brought into the family, and so God is your father. Your destiny is to be part of that family forever, and nothing can change it. It means that you have access to the Father like only a child can. It says here, doesn't it, that we should be adopted call, uh, as adopted through Jesus Christ. Because he is the, in, uh, the Son and he is accepted, we come in him and we're part of the family. Now, when you think of um, a child, how much of rebellion does a, does a child, does a, do parents put up in their children? They put up with it, well, indefinitely, don't they? However much that child might fail or stray or hurt them, they will always be their child. How long does God put up with his children? Forever. We're safe in him. We're accepted in him. And the question for us this morning, as we think of the difference that makes in our life, is when you look at your life, are you living like an accepted child of God or like an orphan? Are you living in the riches of being, having access to God the Father freely through Jesus? Or is we live in, are we living like we're, we've been rejected and we're on the outside? We can speak directly to God. We have access to the throne room of heaven in Christ. We get to read his word and hear our Father talk to us. We have his presence with us by the Spirit. We are rich, we have blessing, we have it all and we have this through Christ. Now, can you hear what's being said here? You are deeply significant 
to God the Father. You are secure in him. He chose you before you had any chance of messing up your life, making any mistakes. He loved you. You are accepted and loved as a child of God. You're in the family. Can you see the treasures of Christ, the, the blessings he deserves are now ours because we are in him. We are rich in Christ. So the location of the blessing is in Christ. The impact of the blessing is, is huge. We're just scratching the surface there. But let's finish very briefly with this. What's the source of this blessing? Where does it come from? Well, look at verse 6. Uh, verse five, we'll start reading verse 5. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Why does all of this happen? What's the goal? What's the target? It is, it's all about God. It's all about what he has done. It's all about him and to his praise, his glory and his grace. He is the author of salvation. He is the one who has done it all. This, um, he is the theme. He is the, the goal. He is the purpose of this whole passage. And that means he gets the glory. He gets the praise. He gets the attention. And God gets immense pleasure through that. We are deeply blessed to the praise of his glory and grace. So the hero here isn't us. The hero is God. And he gets, the, he gets the praise and the celebration. The salvation is not down to us. It's down to him. And so that's why we can say salvation is of the Lord. It's not through me. It's not through what I've done. It's through him. So again, if you're not a Christian here this morning, please hear this. You cannot do anything to earn God's love. The only reason any of us in here are, are Christians is because God has loved us. In all our failure, in all the wrong we've done. So please, would you put your trust in him? Please see how amazing his grace is. Now maybe this morning you're feeling that, you're aware, you're, you're drawn to him. There's something about Jesus that makes you think, I want to trust, I want to follow him. Don't put it off. Trust in him today. And all of these riches could be yours. You could know this significance. You could know that security. You could know that acceptance because Jesus has done it all for us. So come this morning and put your trust in him. And if you're a believer this morning, can we see as we stand on this glorious vista, as it were, with Paul, looking at what Christ has done. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Should we praise him together? Let's rejoice in him. Let's enjoy him as we celebrate on these riches that we've we don't, haven't done anything to deserve, but we accept by his grace. Let's spend a few moments in silence as we uh, just think on those truths and pray them into our hearts and into our lives before we sing our last song.
Father, these truths are so great and so glorious. We do find it hard, Lord, to grasp the significance of them, but we pray now by your Spirit that you would take these truths from this page, from our minds, and into our hearts, and into our lives, and into the lives of those around us, as we uh, live lives of being aware of our security in Christ, our significance in Him, and this glorious acceptance we have in the family of God, that that would shine uh, in this world of uncertainty, in this world of trying to strive and earn our identity. Please, Lord, would it show that we rest in Christ. Help us to live lives, Lord, that are blameless and holy, because that is what uh, you've called us to. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.